0: Well, great singing this evening, you know, this hymn, I Shall Know Him, you might have noticed who it was written by, Fanny Crosby, and uh, she was a blind woman, and uh, it's interesting as I was reading the words that she wrote, uh, just thinking about how clearly she could see, you know, for being blind, uh, she had a very, very clear view. And uh, sometimes as we're going through life, uh, a clear view is a hard thing to, to have. And um, it's a whole lot easier to navigate life when we're looking through the windshield rather than looking at the rearview mirror. Um, it'd be hard to drive and make our way through life and make good choices. If we're looking in the rearview mirror, always looking at the past and things of the past, may personal failures, maybe personal failures, maybe persecution that we've endured in the past, um, but I was just struck by that, uh, how a blind woman, uh, what was it, 1820 she was born, something like that, uh, lived to lived 1915, but how clear she could see. Now uh, take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5, is where we'll be this evening, James chapter 5, James chapter 5 in your Bibles, and I'll ask you a question, are you, are you being patient, are you having patience in your life, and uh, of course last week, we had uh, Mr. Anderton with us, and he spoke. The week before that, I had preached out of James chapter 5. We looked at a few verses there and talking about patience. So how have you been doing in the area of patience? Have you been enduring uh, patiently, long-suffering, uh, long-tempered, do you remember? How have you been doing? Um, I won't ask you for any testimonies necessarily. There probably are some of success. Uh, that you, maybe you've been in, enjoying success and being long-tempered in your marriage relationship, or maybe with your children, maybe at, maybe at, the, at the workplace. Um, I hope that you have. Uh, are you a patient person? You know, God wants us, and we see it here several times in James chapter 5, God, God wants us to live patiently. He wants us to, as we saw, He wants us to be looking for the coming of the Lord. He wants us to be remembering that the Lord's judgment is coming someday. And again, his judgment, the place of reward. Uh, he wants, He's going to reward us for living patiently in this life. So are we looking for his coming? Are we, being, are we living our lives in such a way in this earth that we're going to be in a position to receive a reward? Are you enduring patiently uh, maybe temptation in your life? Or are you giving into it? Uh, so patience can be applied to many areas of our lives. And then we saw from James chapter 5 that if we're going to live a patient life, not only do we need to be thinking about the coming of the Lord and remember that we're going to give an account to Him and we're going to be rewarded for enduring in this life, but the third thought that we saw from James chapter 5 was that we ought to be following the examples of other believers who've gone before us. And I can, I can of course, we can look at Hebrews chapter 11, we might even read from there a little bit tonight, And we can read about people who endured by faith, and by faith they overcame, and by faith they were victorious over sin and temptation. There's a lot in the Bible we can look and we can see from different people's lives how they endured, and that can be an encouragement to us. But I'll say this, even within this group of people here this evening, many, many of you in this room have been a great blessing to me and have helped me be patient. You've helped me in the area of patience as I've watched you endure. As I've watched you overcome. As I've watched you, and maybe from, a, maybe from your perspective, you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm overcoming. I'm right in the middle of it. And I'm not sure, only by faith do I know I'm going to come out on top on this thing. Because, frankly, from time to time, I don't feel like I am. Sometimes we feel like we're actually losing. Um, we're going backward. But many of you have been a great encouragement to me. As you are patiently pursuing the Lord in in this life uh, and overcoming. And I want you to know that. And it's not just me who sees that, but others within this congregation see you and uh, are watching and uh, are overcoming as well, in part because of this admonition, as he tells us, hey, be patient, follow the example of God's servants. And there are some servants of the Lord in this room And a servant of God, by the way, isn't always a perfect person. Do you know that? Do you know that? Yes. Um, There are very few people in the whole Bible, godly people, very few of them that are mentioned without something bad attached to them. Uh, Daniel is one. There there are a couple, but most of God's servants, pretty much all of them, like 99.9% of them, had struggles along the way. Okay? and Some of them would be immense struggles. Some of them, it was the sin of unbelief. They didn't trust God. You know? So um, servants of the Lord sometimes don't do the right things. Uh, so sometimes, I, I say that because I, I'm saying to you, you have helped me and I can follow you as God's servants. And some of you are thinking, well, that's not me he's talking about because I have fallen short in these areas. Don't think that way. Praise God for the victory he's given you in your life. Praise him for it and rejoice in it and celebrate it with him. And you know what? Keep overcoming in the other areas. All right. Let's look at God's word. James chapter 5. Look with me at verse number 7. Verse number 7. James chapter 5, verse 7. And I'm going to read down. We, we looked at verses 7 all the way down through verse 10. So this evening we're really going to focus in on just verse 11. But I want to read beginning in verse 7. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren unto the coming of the Lord. And that word coming has the idea of not only of Him coming in in arrival, but His presence, in that He'll never leave us, we'll never be apart from Him ever again. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thought. And then He gives us an illustration. He says, Behold, or think about this, the husbandman, or a farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, He plants and he has to wait until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. And then here's the text for tonight, verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's pray together and we'll look at this verse in the time we have tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray tonight. Encourage our hearts. I know, uh, Father, there are some in this room who are enduring uh, patiently. And yet, all of us are tempted at times to be impatient. Uh, For some of us, that means we throw in the towel. We give up uh, on your way of doing things, and we go about life in our own way, in our own flesh. Lord, we know that our fleshly way may seem right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death and destruction. So, Lord, uh, strengthen us, help us as we consider your word. I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would strengthen hearts and uh, increase faith, and that we would leave this place tonight more inclined to trust you, trusting you, Lord, hoping in you, not in our circumstance and not in people. And Lord, I pray you'll be, you'll be pleased with us. I pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. So how can you and I be patient? Because I know all of us in this room are patient people just by nature. We're just oozing with patience. And uh, I wish you all could have seen Mrs. Willis' face right there. <laughs> it's okay. I enjoyed it. So how can we be patient? Well, he says to us, look for the coming of the Lord. Remember the Lord's judgment to come. You're going to be rewarded for your patience Follow the example of God's servants. You know, these believers in James chapter 4 were facing tests. They were facing afflictions. They were facing temptations. Don't raise your hand, but is there anybody in this room who's facing intense temptation right now in your life? You say, it's not a trial in the sense of hardship, Pastor, but there, I, I've never been as tempted as I am right now. You know, there are waves of temptation that are involved in the Christian life as well. Well, these believers were facing these things; they were facing afflictions, temptations. These these people were facing persecution, and God wanted them to learn patience. And I think that's interesting um, because there are a lot of things we could talk about. We could talk about He could have talked about victory. He could have talked about deliverance. He could have talked about a lot of things. But instead, to these people who were facing all of these things, He talks to them about patience. You need patience. If you're going to overcome, you need patience. And if you don't have patience, yes, deliverance will come eventually when you pass from this life if you're a child of God. But you'll be giving up so much victory that's already been secured by the Lord Jesus Christ. You can live in this life and you can overcome in this life and you can you can do it in you can do it patiently and God will be pleased. And you can be salt and light in this life and other people, you can be a help to them. So it's part of our lives, and I've told, told you this, and you know this to be true just because you're alive. It's a part of our lives to be confronted with trouble. That's just a part of life. Job 5.7 says, Yet man is born into, unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. And in John 16, and verse 33, Christ said this, In the world ye shall have tribulation. It's just a part of life. It's in this world. But of course he said, But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. As I mentioned last week, the Holy Spirit is fully aware of what what you are, where you're at in life. He is fully aware. He's not in the dark. Um, And when I say fully, I mean it completely. Aware, Because you can, where you sit tonight, you can say, Pastor Seth, you have no idea where I'm at. You have no idea. Pastor, you know a little bit, but you really have no idea the fullness of where I'm at. You don't know. You're right. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit does. Fully. Completely. And by the way, it's encouraging to me that he still chooses to never leave us nor forsake us. He knows fully where we're at. He knows the, the falls. He knows the thoughts that, the fleeting thoughts that flicker through our minds, of a great variety, more than anyone here wants to share or know. He knows the trouble. He knows the persecution. He knows what other people may be thinking, may be doing, may not be doing, but we think they're doing it. He knows it all. Okay, he's fully aware, and yet the Holy Spirit still. Knowing our present trials, knowing the temptations, knowing our failures, knowing the persecution, still the Holy Spirit admonishes and commands us to be patient. And the truth is, often we're not. Often we're not patient. So how are we responding to life? How are we responding to where we're at in our lives at this time? Do we find ourselves blaming God? You ever blame God? You don't have to answer uh, but I have, Lord, you knew, you knew this was going to be the way it was going to be. I didn't know this, Lord, when I said yes. This isn't what I had planned. God, you knew. Now that's that's a three uh, percent giving glory to God for His omniscience and a ninety-seven percent saying how come you're doing this? <laughs> okay, do you follow me? You knew, Lord. And so there, is, there are times where we blame the Lord because we're not patient, or other times when we're irritated with him. Irritated with him. You say, no, I'm irritated with my circumstance. Not if you believe uh, everything that happens in life happens because God is actively involved and in working. Nothing happens by chance in this life. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow to happen. You say, well, I'm, I'm irritated with my circumstance. Or I'm, you know who I'm irritated with? I'm irritated with me. Some of us might say that. Um, you know, are you irritated with God? Are you transferring your frustrations to your Christian brothers and sisters? Maybe to your children, maybe to your spouse. I talked to you a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. You're miserable because you're not patient. You're miserable. You're not patient. You're sick and tired of enduring. And everyone who's close to you knows that you're sick and tired of life. And it's not faith that's oozing from you when you walk into a room the Lord has allowed some things to happen in your life. He has you where he wants you to be, and you are a frustrated and maybe even an angry person. You're not patient. And the Holy Spirit is telling these people, be patient. And I won't go back, but you know how many times he said it. He said it re- repeatedly in these just a handful of verses, repeatedly. Be patient. Be patient. Why? Because they weren't. <laughs> That's Why? They weren't patient. In James chapter 4, he talks to them about their pride, their prayerlessness, their arrogance. And there's rebellion in there because they want to grab life by the reins and they want to direct and steer their way through life. Now, if we really believe what the Bible says, that God knows everything and he does everything right and that he is good, if we really believe What the Bible says about God and who he is and his character. That he knows what's best for us and he wants what's best for us for his glory and his honor. Even though sometimes it brings great hardship into our lives. How many of you who know God and believe him to be the God of the Bible, how many of you would rather order your own life? And by the way, we can just take care of our own eternity while we're at it. Since we're going to order our own lives. I mean, how many of us really want that? So be patient. I think these five verses are so practical, and they're really direct in helping us to understand how to be patient. So I've given you the first three already. Um, Look for the coming of the Lord. This life is a vapor. James talks about that. Um, It's not always going to be this way. Eternity is a long time, and I'm thankful for that. And God will set everything right. And, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's some things that I enjoy in this life. I mean, I enjoy them. Um, even now, I, I can feel a wave of emotion about just thinking about things that I enjoy, okay? So I enjoy life, but at the right hand of God are pleasures that exceed the greatest pleasure I can imagine in this, in this life, okay? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Remember that as you're seeking to be patient going through this life. uh, Remember that this life is brief. Remember that Christ is coming back too. Remember that the Lord's judgment is coming. I'm going to give an account to him. I'm going to be rewarded for him for doing right in this life. Sometimes we think there's no reward for doing right. I could do the right thing. It's just going to make things harder. I'm just going to have to endure. I'd be better off just ensuring that I have peace now and we do the wrong thing. No, remember, the Lord's judgment to come, he's going to reward, and those rewards are eternal. And then follow the example of the Lord's servants. Now, first of all, tonight, I want to give you this. Understand the Lord's blessings in the trial. Understand the Lord's blessing in the trial. Look at verse 11, the beginning part. And again, the thoughts I'm giving you are coming from the passage. Look at verse 11. He says, behold, look and see. He's in this is there's a bit of an argument here because I imagine them being proud people were struggling with this whole idea of you want me to do what you want me to be patient endure the persecution he says behold look and see we count them happy which endure we count them happy which endure Uh, he says we which means that what he's about to say is a common opinion he's saying it's not just my opinion. This is your opinion, too. We count them happy that endure. And James really directs the readers to do some calculating. We count. Do some math. This is not an emotional decision I'm trying to get you to make. Do the math. We count them happy who have endured. Who have gone before us, who have overcome. I think for the most part, we consider those who have endured through trials to be blessed. even to be happy. Show me the people, the believers on this earth who have endured genuine hardship, grief-stricken at times, but whose faith found that resting place, who kept following the word of God, kept saying yes to the Holy Spirit, and who trust him, and you will find the people that are the happiest people on the face of the earth. Not necessarily when they were right smack dab in the middle of the trial with questions that they didn't have answers to, or when persecution was still raining down on them, or people were lying about them. No, not necessarily at that moment, as they were trying to get their bearings, like what's happening in life and what's going on and this isn't what I planned because they're human beings too. But those who have endured it and didn't give up, who kept trusting God and his word and the spirit of God to strengthen them and their inner man to endure to the end, find those people and you will find the happiest people that I've ever met in my life. Some of them are in this room. And they look back and they talk to me about how dark it was in those days and how they didn't know which end was up sometimes. And they, didn't, they sometimes felt as though the Lord had forsaken them at times and they had to seek him, but he always showed himself strong on their behalf. And, and ultimately, looking back, they praise and glorify God and they know God better because of their trial and tribulation than they ever did before it. And whenever I talk to an individual like this, and it's not just within this congregation, but other congregations as well, I always walk away marveling at their faith. And I wonder, I wonder, and I've pondered over the years at their level of trust in the Lord, and I've walked away several times thinking, I don't know God the way that person knows God. He says, we count them happy which endure. And the word endure here, again, is this word that James uses all the way back in chapter 1. And it has the idea of enduring in the face of adverse circumstances. Enduring in the face of adverse circumstances. And James was seeking to help these believers to patiently endure the trials that they were facing. And so what he's saying here is to understand the Lord's blessing. Look over, if you would. We're not far away. Take a left and go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'm going to read just a a little bit of it. Because there are blessings to be found in the middle of tribulations. There are blessings to be found in the middle of tribulations. And don't get me wrong, uh, there there are moments during a tribulation where you're at that stage where you're questioning the Lord, perhaps. Uh, You you are... where I, I'll use me, or I've been arrogant enough to think that maybe I could have done a better job ordering my life. I don't, I've never actually verbalized that. But I've acted like I thought that. And uh, that's just not true. Hebrews chapter 11. And even as I read through some of these individuals who trusted the Lord and suffered, we can see some blessings that they found in the middle of their tribulation. Look at Verse thirty-two, Hebrews chapter eleven, verse thirty-two. He says, "And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Gideon, of course, I I can't stop. The Midianites, you remember them? They're swarming all over the land. They're robbing everyone. Gideon's hiding. Um, That's a tribulation. Your your country's being overrun. He's hiding." And yet, in the middle of a tribulation, God shows himself strong, uh, and Gideon leads an army of how many men? 300, he ends up with. And what does he use? What were his weapons for driving out the Midianites out of his land? Do Anybody remember the weapons, Gideon's weapons? What were they? Jack? Torches and? Anybody Trumpets, yeah, that was one. Good job, Drew. Trumpets. Oh, Diana. Aunt Di told you. Hmm. All right, good job, and you were honest, too. Okay, so, but good answer. So we got trumpets, we've got torches. There was one other part. Pitchers, that's right. Those are weapons of warfare, right? Flashlight. Uh, Your mom's dishes. Don't do this at home. But 300 men and, and they fell on each other. I can't stop, okay? But the blessing how many of us have been encouraged by reading about Gideon and his army of 300 men and how God made it so, so frankly, so obvious to all of us hundreds of years later that victory doesn't come through the intellect of men, victory does not come through the courage of men like Gideon hiding. It didn't come by might or thousands of Israelites. God actually sends men home to prove a point that he delivers, that he is the one we should hope in. And over and over and over and over throughout the Bible, he does this. And I'm going to keep reading because we got through one name. Of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith, here are some blessings, subdued kingdoms. Now, that sounds really easy. They sub- they won some victories, yippee. No, they were in the process of losing most of them. They were the underdogs. They were in the situation that we sometimes find ourselves in. Questions without any answers. Um, being faced with situations like there's no possible way we can win this. There's no hope. They were in hopeless situations. Yet in those situations, there were blessings. Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness. I love that. Because maybe there's someone here this evening and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I'm being tempted in ways that I've never been tempted before in my entire life. And Pastor, between me and God, I'm actually considering it. Because I'm just about to give up. You know, by faith. One of the blessings was righteousness is wrought. Righteousness is accomplished. We do right. Do you know why or in whose power? Because we're disciplined people. That's why we do right, Pastor. Because we're Baptist. Because it's on our sign. Because we still print bulletins in this church. Or we still have Sunday night services and that's why we do righteousness. No. You know why we do righteousness? Because God... Almighty, by his Holy Spirit, and this book empowers us and protects us to do right. That's why we do right. That's why we do right. Obtain promises, and oh, how we get to know God better as we go through life and You know, I know more, I understand more of God's promises now than I have up to this point in my life. Why? Because of some of the trials, temptations, tribulations that God has brought me through. That's why. Why do I have a better understanding of God's word now than I did when I was in Awanas? Because I've gone through life, and God has had to humble me along the way repeatedly to draw me closer to himself so I could so I could grasp a hold of some of his promises and hold them close and fall in love with him again. Stop the mouths of lions, victories along the way. You know, lions just smell. I wouldn't have wanted to be thrown in there. I wonder if Daniel was at all afraid. The Bible doesn't tell us those things about Daniel, that he was afraid or that he struggled with unbelief. Daniel is like pristine, pristine can't find anything on it but i do wonder before he's about to go in of course the bible tells us don't worry the lord the lord's able to deliver me i mean so we do know i wonder was that it was that was he saying that was those were those words coming out in faith and inside he's going oh, this lord helped us to be quick i don't think so he went in stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many of us want to be thrown in a fiery furnace like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Carson. All right. He's going to need uh, three people to go with him. We'll just choose you randomly. Okay. Um, The thing is, the thing is, those those men stood. They had to be afraid to some degree, or at least. Maybe they had a flicker of it, or maybe it's somewhere along the way. Maybe it wasn't that day. Maybe they were just bold that day, and God gave them that boldness for that day. But they were people like you and me, is what I'm saying. But these people endured these different kinds of things. I'm going to stop there, because we're never going to move on in James. So look back to James. But I, I want you to know, what that, and, and it's something we have to see, and I think it's important to even look for it, if you can't see it yet, while you're going through a temptation, while you're going through the tribulation, Lord, what's the point of this? Uh, There was a lot of momentum in the right direction, Lord, between these things that you've allowed into my life. Before you allowed them into my life, Lord, I think I was doing okay. Lord, if you hadn't brought this into my life, who knows what I might be doing. I might be serving you to greater extents in different areas of life. But, you know, the Lord, knowing you, knowing me, chose to bring things into our lives right on time to accomplish his will, his work in us. And he wants us to understand the Lord's blessing in the trial. And that's what he's saying there in verse number 11 of James chapter 5, behold, we count them happy, which endure, they're blessed. So there are eternal blessings, not just in this life that are temporal blessings, but there are eternal blessings for enduring temporary trials we face today. Now, James already drew our attention to this fact in verse number 9, the latter part. You might look there. He says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And he gave that illustration of the courtroom doors are about to open. The judge of all the judges is about to return. Christ is about to return. Don't lose sight of that. This life is short. Endure. Be patient, he's telling us. And isn't that what Peter was getting at in 1 Peter chapter 1? You're very close to that. Look across the page for me. 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 6 and 7. He says wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness and there are seasons in our lives and Peter acknowledges this you're in a season of heaviness through manifold temptations tests did Peter know anything about being tested and tried yes or no yes he did he always passed those tests with flying colors didn't he Mm. Lotus verse 7. Why the manifold temptations are, are upon us, or maybe upon you, that the trial of your faith, the testing of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna read verse seven again, okay? I think it speaks clearly enough on its own. Why is it, what could be a blessing in God allowing a trial, a temptation into our lives? Look at verse seven, he tells us, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, our faith be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So next time you're faced with a temptation, next time you're faced with a trial, next time maybe you're feeling persecuted, and you say, what's the point? Remember this. Understand that that God has a blessing. The point of the trial is a blessing. Now, what I just said is counterintuitive. It's going to go against the way you feel. It's going to go against the way I feel when it happened. What is the blessing? You know, I want to get derailed here for a few minutes and talk about different hard things that have happened in my life that I looked at them and said, what is, what is the blessing of that? You know, this, there's nothing about this that's a blessing. But having gone through it, looking back and saying, ah, I can see the blessing. You know, I'll be much further ahead, and maybe some of you can remind me of this as we continue to serve the Lord together. And you find that I'm going, What's going on? You can say, Pastor Ferguson, do you see the blessing? Have you found the blessing yet in this? And I might give you a look, and you'll have to be patient. Say, Pastor Ferguson, you said, Okay, remember James 5? You might have to remind me of that because you know how it is. We're in the middle of the fray. What's the blessing? We don't even like to be late for things. That gets us all riled up, let alone go through a genuine trial. So there are eternal blessings for enduring tem- t- temporary trials we face today. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talked about this during his Sermon on the Mount. Christ spoke of this. In Matthew chapter 5, I'll read it to you, verses 10, 11, and 12. He said this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. You mean rejoice when I'm being persecuted? Rejoice when I'm being reviled? And when they're saying all manner of evil against me falsely? Yes, rejoice, he says, and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You're in good company, Jesus says. You're being opposed. They're lying about you. They're saying things wrong about you. It's not true what they're saying, but you're you're saying the right things. You're following me. And he says, be encouraged. Rejoice, in fact. You're in good company. And you have a reward. It's heavenly, and it's coming someday. So down through the ages, God's people have been persecuted for doing the right things remember Joseph? He was persecuted for doing the right things. Stephen was stoned for doing the right thing. Daniel was persecuted for doing the right things. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were uh, persecuted for doing right. And when Christ returns, Jesus says he's going to have a special reward for those who have done the right thing and endured hardness, even when, when it made total sense to do the opposite at that time. In verse 11 Jesus directed the minds of his disciples to what lay ahead for them. The passage I just read out of Matthew 5. Think about those things someday. There's a blessing that lays ahead for doing what is right. And I can tell you this. If you don't do this, you will give in. If you don't remember and understand the Lord's blessing in, during your trial, you will give in. If in your temptation you don't remember the reward that God has in store for them who follow him and love him more than they love this life and this flesh, you will give in to the temptation. And by the way, that's when we give in. When we look at the temptation, we look at the temptation, we look at the temptation, and finally, we, after doing the math, and we normally always do the math, we decide, you know what? It's worth it to do it. It's worth it. It'll give me pleasure. It'll give me some peace. It'll give me some relief. I need it. For this life, I need it. It's when we stop thinking about the future, the blessing, the reward, the coming again of Christ that we lack patience and we give in. So God's people down through the ages have been reviled and persecuted and lied about for serving him. And Jesus warned his disciples that they would endure the same for his sake. I'm going to read an illustration to you, I think, of this. In 1890, the Stead family took a holiday to the beach in New York. And they had a little girl by the name of Lily, and the mom's name was Louisa. And they made a sandcastle, and Mr. Stead, the dad, looked out at the waters there in New York, and he saw a young man who was struggling out in the water. And Mr. Stead thought that the young man was drowning, and so... Though Mr. Stead was not trained in life-saving techniques, he wasn't a lifeguard. He ran into the water to try to save, try to rescue the, the man who was in peril. But when he reached the drowning man, the man put his arms up around Mr. Stead and locked him in a death grip. And both the young man and Mr. Stead died that day. His wife, Louisa, did the best she could to care for her daughter, Lily, it was only 1890, you remember? And she did everything she could to, to provide for Lily, but barely, they had barely had enough money to survive, and they really lived in poverty. And one night as they prepared for bed, Louisa, the mom, told Lily that they needed to pray for food because they had nothing to eat for the following day. Louisa looked down at Lily's worn and scuffed shoe with her toes sticking out at the end, and she said, we should, go, we should also ask Jesus to give us some money to buy you a pair of shoes. And they prayed and went to sleep. And the next morning, Louisa opened the door, found a large box filled with groceries and an envelope with a $10 bill, more than enough to purchase shoes for the little girl. Louisa happily made breakfast, but before she ate, she took out some paper and she wrote, this is the mom, she wrote these words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and just to take him at his word." Just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. They ate breakfast, went to town, and bought Lily a pair of shoes for that $10. As Louisa watched Lily happily running around in her new shoes, she wrote again. She wrote, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. And by the way, I'm still learning that. Precious Jesus, save your friend. And I know that thou art with me. This is a widow speaking will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. So you need to look for the Lord's blessing in the trial. I suppose Louisa, in that historical event, losing her husband being in poverty with a little girl to take care of, could have proceeded out in life with an arrogant attitude of, God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? Angry, bitter, frustrated, unthankful. Instead, from the hymn that she wrote, one that we still sing to this day, she came away closer to the Lord, trusting him still in poverty, just $10 and some groceries, that's all. It wasn't like someone gave her $2 million in 1890 so she could live happily ever after, right? They didn't find her husband that actually survived and brought, her, brought him back to her, and it was all going to be okay now. No, no, she still lost her husband. She was still living in poverty. She was still in the middle of a trial and so she was writing, Lord, I'm learning to tr- I've learned to trust you. Help me trust you more. And can I encourage you as church members, pray that way? God, help me to learn to trust you more. Lord, help me to, help me to grow in my faith. Help me to take you at your word. Lord, help me not to find my, try to find my satisfaction. I'm so prone to this. Help, help me not to try to find my satisfaction in the things of this earth or in the ease of life. Lord, help me to learn to trust you more. That's where the rest comes. That's where the relief is found. You see. So look for the blessing in the trial. Look at verse 11 again, the middle part, and, and I want to encourage you to realize God's purpose for the trial. Realize or understand God's purpose for the trial. Look at verse 11, the middle part. And this, look what the Holy Spirit, look where he points these believers to these believers who were struggling so much and needed patience and they were lacking it. He says, ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. I want to stop there. The word end means purpose. And so James is saying, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, how Job endured through tribulation and through Job's life. You have seen the purpose of God he tells these believers for allowing the trial into Job's life. You know, God has a purpose for the trial that you're facing, too. Everything. Every single thing. Some things in life come along, and we won't even categorize them as trials. We just say they're annoyances. You know? You might have a few of those. And sometimes, there's, of course, there's blessings sprinkled into that we look and identify as blessings. But we rarely look at a trial and call it a blessing. We rarely look at a trial, and, and, and I think rarely, I think, do we come to an understanding of God has a purpose for this. What's his purpose for this? And, 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 and the Holy Spirit actually points these Hebrew believers to, in your trial, in your persecution, God has a purpose for this. God has a purpose for the trial that you and I face. He says to them, you have heard. What, what does he mean by that? Well, it was common knowledge. Job, Job was one of the most popular uh, and familiar stories of Jewish teaching, and why? Because it was the story of a righteous man, a story of a passionate God, uh, and they loved to tell the story, and it was a story of a man who defeated Satan by the power of God. Now, how many here want to do that? I think most of us would. How many of us are doing that? Many. I'm not standing here saying no one. We want to do that, don't you? Don't you want God to be glorified in your life? God knows you and me better than anyone else, and he knows the temptation, he knows the areas of weakness, and he knows how Satan is working, trying to derail, trying to destroy as a roaring lion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, if uh, the Lord would recount someday to where we used to be, where we were in this life, and yet... Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You endured patiently. You glorified me over and over and over again, day after day after day, as you trusted me. I knew where you were. I knew how hard it was. I knew what you felt like doing. I knew the temptations. I, know the, I knew the thoughts that you you in, entertained. I knew. And I knew the decision, I know the decision that you made. You chose to do the right thing. You chose to honor me over yourself. You see, that's to his glory. That's to his praise. And Job did that, and they loved to talk about it. The story of Job, of course, is Job was a godly man, and Satan came to God and asked God, basically said this about Job to God. He said, I don't think you have one man on earth that will be true to you. In essence, is what Satan said to God. And God said, to Satan yes I do I have a man named Job have you considered him and God told Satan you can't kill him but you can do just about everything else you want to him and I'll prove that he's a faithful man and Satan did go after Job you remember and he destroyed him in every way possible and Job went through the most incredible trial the death of all of his children the loss of all of his possessions down to nothing and his body covered with horrible boils And in all of that, frankly, Job didn't waver. He endured. He complained now and then, but mostly about his ignorant friends and who was giving him the foolish answers to what was going on. His wife tried to get Job to curse God and die, you remember, but he refused to do that, and he said to her in Job 2 and verse 10, What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all of this did not Job sin with his lips, Later on in Job, in chapter 13 and verse 15, Job said this, though he slay me, speaking about God, if God takes my life, even if he takes my life, yet will I trust in him. In Job 42 and verse 5, Job said, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. That is an amazing statement. And the statement Job couldn't make before he went through the trial... Lord, I knew you were good by faith. And I had experienced your goodness and your blessings in my life. But Lord, I had heard of you before, is how Job puts it. I'd only heard of you, only nibbled around the edges of your goodness. But now, I've seen it. This was after he'd lost his family. After he'd lost all of his wealth. This was Job's conclusion. You know, God has a purpose for your trial too, and mine. And he wants us to better know him. He wants us to worship him and glorify him and praise him. In a way, maybe like Job, and maybe I'm not saying this the best way, but in some way he wants you to be a trophy of his mercy and his grace. And you and I need to trust him. We need to be patient. Job was frankly, at the end of his life, he was saying, now I know who you are, God. I never saw you in in my good times as clearly as I've seen you in my bad times. I see who you are. And you know, God had a purpose for the trials in Job's life. God blessed Job. That was the purpose of God. Job, or God tested Job's faith. That is one of the purposes in a trial. God demonstrated to Satan that there was a man with true faith. The grass is greener. God used Job. Job couldn't go anywhere. How do you leave and go somewhere and escape the loss of all of your children? How do you go somewhere after you're poverty-stricken? There was nowhere he could go. But God demonstrated to Satan that there was a man with true faith. God used the trial in Job's life to help Job know God better and to bless Job more than he had ever been blessed before. And the question really is, is can we handle that? Can we handle God's purposes for the trial? You know, those are really up to God. But I see those very clearly in Job's life. Can we handle the fact that when we go through a trial, God has a greater purpose in mind? And in Job's case, God had a wonderful purpose in mind for him, greater blessing. And he has the same purpose, I believe, for you and for me. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Romans 8, and verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son. That is his purpose. And you know what? In my life, I have witnessed God's working in my life to that end, that I as a man would be conformed into the image of his son. And I haven't arrived at that. And I hadn't—I wasn't there at 33 years of age when I became your pastor, or at 27 when I started traveling in evangelism, or when I was 18 and went off to Bible college, or when I was a five-year-old and trusted Christ as my Savior. It's a lifelong process to be conformed to the image of his son. That's his If you're anything like me, you want to wrinkle your face and scrunch it all up and grit your teeth. I just want to break. When you're going through the trial, you just want to break. I'd just like it to be over, one way or the other. Just whatever's going to happen, let it happen. Let's just move on with life, pick up the pieces, whatever needs to be done. You need to endure patiently. God has a purpose. I want to look at one final thought. Look at the end of verse number 11. We also need to remember the Lord's character as we go through a trial. And that's the final thought. Look at verse 11, the latter part. He says that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. That's kind of how he leaves it here as he's talking about trials. If you're going through trial, there's something you need to remember. You need to remember God's character. You need to remember his character. I could ask you this evening, who is God to you? Describe God to me. And many of the things you would say would come from your understanding of what the Bible teaches, and that's how we know who he is. Of course, Job knew him, had heard of him, but knew him better having gone through the trial. He saw it, he experienced it, only as he went through tremendous loss. You know, patience for the trial comes when we understand the Lord's character. This is how we can be patient. Remember God's character. When we stop to consider the, who God is, when, and when we find ourselves in a trial, do we ever start to question the Lord's character? Most of us don't, verbally. When I say something like that, you all kind of look at me like, did you just say that? When in fact, you have thought it, and maybe repeatedly. Have you ever found yourself questioning the goodness of God and, and even allowing such a tragedy? Have you ever found yourself questioning His ability, His power and strength to deliver you? Have you ever found yourself questioning His grace? Or His mercy? Have you ever found yourself questioning His kindness? His goodness? His love? Is God even aware of what you're going through? Does He even care at all? You know, patience comes when we understand the Lord's character. So whatever you're going through, the Lord is compassionate. Whatever you're going through, he is full of mercy. 26 times in Psalm 136, we are told that, that the mercy of God endureth forever. In Lamentations chapter 3, it says this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, the word is in our text there in verse 11 come from a very interesting word and it's the word spalaknos and it speaks of the bowels. And so what he's saying there when he says that the Lord is very pitiful it's saying that God is many It's Kind of an odd statement. It's not in our doctrinal statement for the church. It's interesting, isn't it? You say, that isn't interesting to me at all Pastor Seth. Just pray. But the Jews always spoke of the compassion or bowels. That's how they spoke. We say, I love you with all my heart. But they spoke of it coming from their bowels. Because the bowels is the seat of of feeling. Because they could feel it there. And you feel it there too, by the way. You don't feel it here. You feel it here. And what he's saying to us, he's saying... You're, you can be patient if you'll remember that God is many bowled. You'll remember that God is very pitiful. If you'll remember who God is, is what he's getting at. And here's the truth. God is very pitiful. In other words, he feels what you and I go through deeply. And that's an understatement. Our joy, he feels it. Our sorrow, he feels it. Our anguish. There are times things are going on within a church and I'm aware of it, but not everybody's aware of it. Times I will feel it, but others don't feel it at all. And that's, that's okay. There are times that things are going on within a church and I don't know about it, but some of you know about it. And you're burdened. You feel it with them, but I don't. I don't know about it at all. Well here's the thing, God knows about it all. He knows about every single situation, and he doesn't just know about it on a logical, intellectual level, sterile, I know it, you're struggling, you're a human, yeah, yeah, I'm aware of all you humans. I'm not bothered, I'm not affected. That's not how God is, that's not who he is. Have you ever found yourself aching? or in anguish to the point and it's, it's here where you feel it. Or maybe in love and you feel it here. You can feel it all the way through you. God is very pitiful. And I want that to be an encouragement to you as you get ready to launch into this next week. And I hope you never forget it. That as you're going through life, no matter what the trials, no matter what the temptation, no matter God He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's already been there. And he's right there with you, going through it with you. He loves you. And he will not forsake you. And he will not let you down. Be patient. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we leave this place tonight.